the Lord actually birthed this message in my heart. Um, one of the last times that I was here listening to uh, your pastor, Brother Joplin, and he was preaching a message on the fourth of seven of the last sayings of Jesus while he was on the cross. And when he was on the fourth saying, which is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He mentioned that at that moment, the most extreme negative was transpiring simultaneously with the most extreme positive. The most negative being the fact that Jesus, the innocent son of God was forsaken by God the Father and the extreme positive that through all that, God was working a work on purpose so that you and I could be forgiven and be saved, amen? And so as I sat in the pew where you sit this morning, the thought came to me, what a divine battery connection. We all know that in a battery connection, you have to have negative and positive. And so don't get worried up here. Uh, but we do have a charged battery. And uh, obviously, if we just put the positive on and not the negative, we have nothing, right? Nothing. And it's also true in life, even though I'm not going to preach on this, that we can't just accept the positives in our life or the positive scriptures. We have to accept the negative and the negatives. There's the thou shall nots as much as the things that the great promises of, uh, and love and grace of God in the Bible. And then we could switch that around and just have a negative. And let's see what happens here. No, nothing. It's just the ground. And we can just get all down about the negative in our life. Amen. The negative that we've done. And if we don't have the positive, we're not going to have any power in our life. And just like this battery, if it didn't have positive and negative, you're not going to get anywhere down the road. We're not going to get anywhere in life and we won't get to heaven. But the positive and the negative that I want to focus on this morning is the fact that God took this negative of his only begotten son and all that he would endure on the cross that we're about to read about. And yet he would take along with the ultimate negative and the ultimate positive and by putting them together, we've got power. Amen? And so, now, I want us to read, if we will, let's all stand. And we're going to read in God's Word, in Matthew chapter 27, and in verse 45. Now, from the sixth hour, that would be noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That would be three o'clock. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Skip on down to verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He died. And I want you to notice immediately that positive and negative came together. The power of God was transferred, first of all. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent 
and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection. Would you pray with me today? God, Lord, as, I, as I'm here today, God, we know, God, if we didn't know before, we know by now, God, that if anything happens today, it's all you. Just as we sang, God, it's all because of Christ. I'm no different than anybody in here, God, but you've called me. Why did you call me? I don't know. But God, I want to be found faithful to you. So God, hide me behind the cross. And God, anoint me from on high. God, do the things that I absolutely cannot do and I don't want to try to do. And so God, help us today. Lord, while I talk on the outside, would you talk on the inside? And God, Lord, let us, God, be used of you. God, to speak to somebody today, the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. The subject this morning is simply the power of God displayed at Calvary. The sermon, in short, is when the most extreme negative met the most extreme positive at the cross, its connection produced the most awesome power to save you and me. The sermon in a few scriptures, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Matthew 28.18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then 2 Peter 1 verse 3, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I'd like to preach if God would be my helper on the divine battery connection. The setting of our scripture is very simple. There is extreme darkness for three hours from noon to three o'clock. And I want to call to your attention, there's four mysteries that God did perform in the darkness, and he did it that way on purpose, maybe so that we weren't there to say, aha, you did it this way or that way. God did it on purpose. They're called mysteries in the Bible. One is the darkness at creation in Genesis 1-2. The Bible says that, uh, that uh, there was darkness upon the face of the deep. And then God began his creation, and God said, let there be dark or excuse me, let there be light. And then in Matthew 1, 23, the darkness in the womb of Mary. The Bible says that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then there is the darkness at Calvary on purpose, a mysterious purpose in our text, Matthew 27, 45. And then they sealed that tomb, Joseph's tomb, and there was darkness in there on purpose, Matthew 28, 6. The Bible tells us that Jesus raised from the dead. But out of those four, I want to focus on this darkness here at the cross. No wonder 1 Timothy 3, 16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, meaning he raised from the dead, justified in the spirit, but he had to die first on the cross. 
seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in the glory. So why is it dark now at Calvary? In our text, the answer is the ultimate negative of all time is taking place. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When I think about the darkness on Calvary, I can't help but my mind goes to the ninth plague in Egypt upon the land of Egypt there where the Bible records in Exodus 10, 21, and the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over all the land, even darkness which may be felt. That was the judgment of God upon one nation, the ninth of 10 plagues, but now the judgment of the entire world on Calvary's hill, what an extreme judgment No wonder Jesus said in John 12, verse 31 through 33, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, talking about on the cross, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The ultimate negative, Jesus being forsaken by God the Father because he was innocent So that's why it was an extreme negative. You and I in our lives have all felt like something was unfair, amen? Uh, Someone treated us unfairly. And maybe we've even thought at times, God, why did you let this happen to me? Yet all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But here's Jesus The Bible says, was tempted at every point like as we are, yet without sin. And he became sin for us who knew no sin. And yet he is on the cross and he is suffering. And while he's enduring all of that, God the Father withdraws his presence, turns his face away. Why hast thou forsaken me? And the other reason that I believe it's an extreme negative, the most extreme that any human being has ever experienced, not because he was innocent and didn't deserve this, but because he was co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. In other words, the Bible tells us that Jesus knew that he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. When he told Philip, he said, you've seen the Father, you've seen me, amen? And so he knew that he was equal with God. God manifest in the flesh. The word was made flesh. So we know these verses. We know this truth here at the Well Worship Center. But not only was he equal with God, co-equal with God the Father, but co-eternal has always existed. Remember what he said in John chapter 8 when they said, you're not even 50 years old. How could you have known Abraham? And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. That's what Jesus said. I could go on and on and preach on that. So get this. We've all experienced somebody that we were close to and endured and, and, and enjoyed that presence and then now they're gone. And it's hard to go on in life, amen? Whether that's a spouse, a kid, or, or whoever it might be. Jesus, always in the presence of God the Father throughout eternity which cannot be measured. And now for the first time, our minds can't fathom, our hearts will never know what Jesus actually endured on the cross at that moment. But he did. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 1 verse 3 that he by himself purged our sins. Amen. He was all alone.
is faithful. And listen, when you feel all alone and the devil tells you in your mind, God's forsaken you, he don't want anything to do with you, follow the example of Jesus and plug along being obedient to God anyway and God will get you through, amen, because it's a, it's a lie from hell that God will forsake one of his children. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. But he had to forsake his son on the cross and Jesus had experienced that separation from God so that we would not have to throughout eternity. Jesus had to experience this darkness so that we would not have to experience obscure darkness in hell forever. And so, wow. But listen, not only was this negative taking place, but the positive was as well. The Bible tells us that in Habakkuk 1.3, speaking of God the Father, thou art purer, thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. God just couldn't look on the sins that Jesus was bearing at that moment. The Bible says God's so pure and he's so holy, he had to turn away. So but this was happening for a reason. And now we begin to see that simultaneously this extreme ultimate positive was happening at the same time. My favorite verse to relay this truth to you this morning is 2 Corinthians 5, 19 that says, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Wow, the wisdom of God. Because you see, even though God the Father had to turn his head. Jesus was not only all man, but he was all God. Amen. Dr. Clyde Box used to preach a message years ago. Somebody wrote a song about it. It goes something like this. He was so much man when he slept in the boat, but he was so much God that the wind ceased when he spoke. He was so much man when he wept when Lazarus died, but he was so much God that Lazarus came forth when he cried. He was so much man when he thirsted at the well, but he was so much God that he saved her soul from hell. He was so much man when he died upon a tree, but he was so much God when he came forth and rose in victory. Amen. So God was in Christ at the same time while turning away. Wow, our minds can't fathom that, but God did it. Amen. The ultimate negative and the ultimate positive taking place at the same time. I want to call your attention now to this power that trans transpired and that was transferred to various locations around Calvary's Hill. The word power in the verses I quoted come from the word dunamos, where we get our word dynamite. So let's examine for just a little while the dynamite power of God displayed on Calvary. These things all happened. So the witnesses there and us today that could read about it would know that this Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ which means the anointed one, the son of the living God. I love this. Number one, this power was transferred to the sanctuary. Matthew 27, verse 15, 51 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. I want you to know that the very moment that Jesus Christ died, the very moment that he did, that veil of the temple that wasn't very far away from Calvary's hill was rent in two all the way. Now, what was the veil? Well, there was an outer court. 
That if you were a Gentile, that's just, that describes everybody else other than a biological Jew, all right? You're not from any of the tribes of Israel, then you're a Gentile, all right? And the Bible says that if the Gentiles wanted to, to turn their heart to serve and put their faith in the only true and living God of Israel, that they could come and worship him, but they had to on the, what was called the outer court, farthest away from where the presence of God would come down and meet. And then there was a wall of partition. And then if you were to get past that, then that's where the Jews gathered, all right? The Jewish believers and then I'm not going to go into the tabernacle furniture, but the next main thing to tell you is this, then there was a holy place where the priests could come in and minister every day. But then past that, and that point was the veil of the temple that only the high priest once a year could go in in Leviticus chapter 16 and take the blood of a pure spotless male lamb and apply it to the mercy seat. He had to do it very quickly. And get out of there, because if you didn't do it just right, I'm telling you, they, he would die in the presence of God. But now, Jesus is on the cross. And this veil was the thickness of a man's hand, when you read the dimensions recorded in the Bible. And uh, it was the height of 15 feet, 10 cubits or 15 feet. All right, that's higher than the, that's five feet taller than a National Basketball Association goal. Amen, the NBA goal. That means Michael Jordan couldn't reach it. That means LeBron James couldn't reach it. Kobe Bryant couldn't reach it. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar couldn't reach it. Shaquille O'Neal, whoever. Jewish tradition says that two teams of oxen could not even pull apart this embroidered, the thickness about five inches wide and 15 feet tall veil. Yet at the very moment that Jesus yielded up the ghost, the Bible says the veil of the temple was ripped in twain from the top to the bottom. Amen. God did that on purpose to let us all know that we all have access to God now. Amen. Any and everybody that would come through that one that died on the cross sincerely, turn their heart to him and put their faith in him, wouldn't have to wait in the outer court or in the inner court, but could go right into the throne room. Amen. Years ago, one of the presidents, former presidents of our United States was in a very important meeting in the Oval Office while his son busted in the doors. You know what the president did? He didn't say, son, get out of here. This is an important meeting. He addressed, he stopped the meeting, addressed his son, took care of the problem. Then the son left. Not just anybody could have busted in there. Would he have stopped it? But he had access because of who he was. Amen. He was his son. And the Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 8, whether you black or white, poor or rich, it doesn't matter. Thank God whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. And thank God that means this, that because you are a child of God, the Bible tells us the moment that you become born again, you become one of his children. Amen. The Bible says in 1 John, I think it's chapter 3, verse 1, 
uh, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Amen. We're the children of God. So the veil of the temple was rent in twain all the way so we can have access. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, ye who were afar off and at best could worship as a Gentile believer are made nigh. He's broken down that wall of partition. You are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. Amen. And also the reason why it was from top to bottom was to teach us a lesson. There is no way that anybody is ever going to be saved because we reach up to God and we all of a sudden reach some kind of holiness on our own. Amen? Or we uh, think that we'll just do some good deeds to make up for the bad deeds that we've done. No way. That's not going to happen that way. Baby Jessica in 1987, she was 18 months old down in Midland, Texas, and she fell into a, a well of her aunt's house 22 feet down. For hours she was there. She was rescued by the rescue workers. But do you know what? It makes about as much sense to say that baby Jessica at 18 months old could get herself out of there as it does you saying that you can save yourself. The Bible tells us in Psalm 40 verse 1 that David's picturing his backslidden condition. I mean, it's awful. I mean, this was after David and Goliath and all that. And he's backslidden. He's committing sexual sins. He has venereal disease. You study it. You study Psalm 38, 39, and 40. It's very clear. He is in a pit, and he's backslidden. As a matter of fact, that pit is, the, 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 the pits in that day, they were inverted like this. So the deeper they, they went, the wider they got, and they were full of muck and mire. And so listen, uh, I don't have time to preach on this, but listen, there is no way that David could climb up backwards and that's the picture there. But guess what he said in Psalm 40, verse 1? I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Heard my cry. He brought me up out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. Amen? Praise God. So this veil, this power of God was transferred, first of all, to the sanctuary. And that veil of the temple was written twain from the top. And then two... The bottom. Secondly, I want you to notice that the Bible tells us in verse 51, the second part of that verse, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And so God's power also touched the soil and the stones of the earth. God's power, the same creator God that made the earth and made the crust and made the waters and made everything. The Bible teaches us that here's Jesus, also the creator, God the creator. The moment he dies, these same hands, according to Hebrews chapter 1, and the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, let me get the verse right, Hebrews chapter 1 in verse 10, the Bible teaches us when it's talking about the Son, Jesus. It's talking about Jesus, the Son of God. It's very clear the context is the Son of God. And it says whose hands he laid the foundation of the earth and basically whereby the heavens are the works of thine hands. So Jesus' hands laid the foundation of the earth and all the heavens, the moon, the stars, the sun, and all that are the works of whose hands? Jesus' hands. And even while his hands are nailed to an old rugged cross and he dies, yet still God does this phenomenon at this divine battery connection. 
and the crust of the earth. There's an earthquake that happens there. What does it speak to us? It speaks to us and reminds us once again who God is and that he puts this stamp of approval on one to be the savior of the world. That's Jesus, his son. That also speaks to us that God has this kind of power and it warns us in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 through 29, it warns us that there's coming a day that uh, unlike the Old Testament in the days of Moses where he came down from the mountain and God spoke to them the Ten Commandments and the earth shook and trembled, that, that the Bible says there's coming a day that not only will he shake the earth, but he's going to shake heaven and earth. Talking about the final judgment upon this world. And we better be ready at that time, amen? And we better have our life committed to things that cannot be shaken, amen? Uh, the Bible tells us uh, that uh, wherefore we're receiving a, com- a, a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming, power, uh, consuming fire. Now, there's one more thing I'm gonna mention here that I'm gonna move on that I think is important to note. When Jesus touched the soil and he touched the stones of the earth, that my heart and mind goes to our hearts because the Bible teaches us about the parable of the sower. There's four different grounds of heart there. And basically, God tries to get us to a place where the soil of our heart doesn't have any thorns in it anymore, doesn't have any stones or rocks. Basically, uh, stuff that's in the way between us and God, all right? A hardened heart, all right? Or stuff that's just in there that, that we're holding on to, okay? But God is able, the same God that transferred that power and that it uh, uh, opened up the earth, okay, can do a work in our life. And you know what? Sometimes we oh, it's the devil and this and that or, or this person over here did anything wrong or that. Hey, just maybe, let me submit to you this morning, if your heart is not soft and it's not a good ground that's just so obedient and yielding to God that maybe God is trying to work these things together to soften your heart and prepare you. Hey, come on. The first time God dealt with us, I'll say first time he dealt with me, I wasn't like, yeah, I'll get saved. You know, some things had to happen in my life. Amen. And still so to keep me straight and depending upon him. And so I wanted to call that to your attention Uh, This morning, number three, not only in this divine battery connection, there's an extreme negative and there's an extreme positive going on. And it touches first the sanctuary. Wow, the veil of the temple was written train from top to bottom. I mean, and at the same time, man, the earth quaked and the rocks were rent. And then the Bible teaches us Now he touches the sepulcher, boom, and the graves are open. Amen? Graves are open. Now, and the Well Worship Center gets an insurance claim, and we get our new building. (laughs) Hallelujah. Semicolon, 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 semicolon. Okay, never mind. Don't have a tie. All right, praise God. All right, so the sepulcher, the graves were open. Hey, all of us have lost a loved one to death, haven't we? I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but let me go into it a little bit more. And there's nothing like 
the never-ending pain of that spouse no longer being there, you go to bed alone, whether it's a death or a divorce, but I'm specifically talking about death right now. That mom and that dad, they're no longer around the dinner table. That son, that daughter, that grandson, that granddaughter, that brother, that sister. You know, you do okay for a while, but then something, man, reminds you, and boy, I mean, you just lose it. Can I, can I get a witness? Do you know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Come on, let's be honest, guys. Come on. Hey, aren't you glad that the power of God opened up the graves? Woo, glory! He touched the sepulcher, praise God. Thank God because he lives. Thank God I can face tomorrow and because he lives. Thank God we can see them again if they know Christ, amen. And death is just a shadow. The Bible says that, uh, yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death. A shadow can scare you, but it cannot hurt you, amen. If you're a child of God, Hey, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6, 23. Then Revelation 21, 4, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Woo! For the former things are passed away. Oh, I love this. And I'm gonna move on, but I gotta say this right here. Buddha was alive and is dead. Muhammad was alive and is dead. Joseph Smith was alive and is dead. Brigham Young was alive and is dead. Gandhi was alive and is dead. Socrates Plato, Aristotle, Confucius, they were all alive, but they are dead. Alexander the Great was alive and is dead. Elvis Presley was alive, but now he's dead. But Jesus said in Revelation 2, 8, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Glory to God. And because of that, he's the first fruits of them that slept. That's why the Bible tells us that those saints didn't come out of the grave till after his resurrection. Immediately on the cross, bang, the veil of the temple was written twain from top to bottom. And bang, the, the, the earth did quake and, and uh, uh, the, the stones were rent and the graves were opened. Nobody came out yet because the Bible says that they came out after his resurrection. Why is that? because he's the first fruits of them that slept. Now, there's a difference between being raised from the dead and the resurrection. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. All he did was just like you put his power and life back into him, but he had the same body. That's being raised from the dead. But the resurrection is different where we get a changed body, a new body, all right? This body is sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. This, bo- this body is sold in, so- sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. The Lord gave us in 1 Corinthians 15 to the Apostle Paul a very simple thing to help us understand and wrap our heads around the reality of this. That this is not just something that some... some uh, 
Tampa Bay Buccaneer friend, uh, fan, Tampa preacher is crazy up here preaching about. Listen here, God showed us very simple in his word. He said, you know how you take a seed and you plant it in the ground? It's dead. You can put, up, you can put all your scientific mechanisms on it. Boom, there's no life in it whatsoever. But scientists cannot explain how after you plant that in the ground that it comes to life. You know who does that? God does that. God puts life in it. It comes forth corn, wheat, whatever. And it changes form also. It's not that boring, dead, simple looking thing, but now it's glorious, okay? God said, just as I do that, when you die, you'll be planted in this earth. But listen here, I'm gonna put my power in that body and you're gonna raise from the dead, thank God. And you'll have a body like Jesus had after he raised from the dead. He just moved through walls. Whew. They were gathered together. Whoo, I'm here. Didn't come in the door. Oh, but he said, give me a piece of fish and some bread, and he ate it. We can't fathom what in the world that body is, amen? It's a new body. But thank God, he touched the sepulcher, amen? And listen, if you're in Christ Jesus, the Bible teaches us that, death, that the grave is not the end for you, amen? It teaches us the same for the lost. The Bible says in John 5, 28, 29, uh, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. We're all going to receive new bodies that are going to be fitted for our eternal states. These here that if you're saved won't ever grow old, uh, they won't uh, ever get sick, won't ever die, will live forever. The other body's going to live forever too and be able to withstand the judgment of God. But hey, listen, why, why do that when you don't have to? Jesus endured the ultimate negative on the cross. The wrath of God was poured upon him so it wouldn't have to be poured on you. And guess what? His sacrifice on the cross, we want to believe that it's, it's eternally good, right? We want to believe that what Jesus on the cross did that is not just good enough for 10 years or 1,000 years or 10,000. We want to believe it was enough for, for eternal sacrifice, amen? Because that's what it is. But guess what? That's the only substitute if we don't take the eternal sacrifice for our sins that's good enough for us to live forever in heaven, then we actually become our own eternal sacrifice forever. God's justice will be satisfied either way. But I'm telling you, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That place was prepared for the devil and his angels. God doesn't want you to go there, amen? And you don't have to. And I'm not your judge today. I have no idea. But if God is speaking to you today, listen to him, amen? Don't harden your heart. Listen to him. Now to the Christian... I want to say this, number, th number four, the Lord also touched on the cross, that divine battery connection, the sleeping saints. Matthew 27, verse 52, 53 says, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, okay? Even though in context and after his resurrection, is talking about a bodily physical resurrection, what I have in my heart, just to relate to you very quickly, is revival. We need revival. All right, the Bible tells us in Romans 13, verse 11 through 14, and that knowing the time, that now it's, it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. 
Now, if we'd be honest, we, we, we would all say sometime in our life, maybe even recently, through the, the attacks of Satan and through the, 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 the tragedies of life and the heartbreaks of life and through this pandemic and maybe even financial battles or whatever, if we'd all be honest, we'd say we were at least tempted recently these last few years to become weak or not be as close to the Lord. If that's not the case with you, then my hat's off to you. But you know what? We can find ourselves getting discouraged, amen? We can find ourselves getting weak if we're not careful. But thank God for the Holy Ghost of God that speaks to us and wakes us up, amen? And it's time for revival. And listen, there is nothing short of a divine visitation in our country that's going to fix us, amen? We need a divine visitation that was produced at the divine battery connection to send us revival. Listen, the Bible tells us this. It tells us in the book of Habakkuk, verse three, chapter three, verse two, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Amen. Now watch this. O Lord, revive thy work. You can't revive yourself. I can't revive myself. It makes as much sense as somebody who's unconscious and needs a paramedic to resuscitate them. It makes as much sense for you to say, I can do this. You stay there in the ambulance, buddy. No, you have to have someone else to resuscitate you. So we've tried and we can pray and we can witness and we can do all these great things. But unless God sends revival, divine visitation, what we really need, what on our efforts, we're going to come way too short. I've read about revival. Some of you may have too. But I'm telling you what, it's amazing when you read about the things that happen that are documented in history. I'll, I'll reference one revival that I read about a few years ago. It happened within the last hundred years. Not, and, and not very long ago. And basically, even though only God can send it, there is a condition of heart that we have to have. We, we can't do like an obstacle course and, and God says, okay, you've done A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you're worthy, here's revival. But God does want us to sincerely turn attention in our heart to him. Amen? So this is what they do. You can read about the great awakenings. This is what they do. They would just gather together and they'd pray, call on God after they worked all day out in the field and the farms and stuff. Then they'd come and they'd spend, they'd gather together about two or three hours a night and they'd sacrifice. And then after seeking God like that, God would speak to them. Like in the book of Psalms, it says, we can't come to his holy hill and, uh, and appear before his presence with our petition if we have unclean hands. And so then God would speak to them that there was things in their lives that they needed to repent of, you know. And then they would have service, call an evangelist, and the services would stink. I mean, they, God wouldn't move. But they were determined to continue to pray and wait for the divine visitation. And when it came, oh, listen. People, even before they got to church, they would be walking in a field and the power of God and conviction would fall upon them. They'd be walking across the street. They'd just fall under the power of God and give their heart to God. Do you know what? A preacher's ability can't do that. A preacher's personality cannot do that. That's not what we need. I know the gifts that God's given me, Brother Kevin, but listen, I know this. I know unless God moves in this service, nothing is going to happen, amen? Sometimes it's too much of me and not enough of him. 
We need to let that be our prayer. I must decrease. He must increase. Amen. And that's one of the things I love about this church because y'all do such a good job of that. You're here because of the Lord. Amen. But we need revival. And I believe God could send it. Amen. He can. He's the same that he's always been. Last but not least, let's look at this and we're going to go home. The fifth and final thing is the power of God at this divine battery connection was transferred not only to the sanctuary and not only to the soil and the stones, not only to uh, the sepulcher and the sleeping saints, but to the soldier, talking about the centurion, amen? Let's read it, Matthew chapter 27. Would you put it up there for me, brother, so I don't need to go back up there. Now when the centurion and those who were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. Not, wow, what was a Roman centurion? He was over 100 Roman soldiers. Okay, is there anything else to that? Yeah, there is. He was like, kind of like a green beret in our armed forces. You couldn't be a centurion if you flinched at the sight of blood, death. I mean, these guys were scourging the Son of God. Okay, if you showed any emotional reaction to something awful going on, you could not be a Roman centurion. And if you showed any reaction to what was going on, you could lose your position, your income, and if it was bad enough, your life by the Roman emperor. So there's a whole lot more to this, that when this Roman centurion saw all this, he lost control of all of that, his position. The power of God was so evident when he said, truly this man was the son of God. It was a lot bigger deal than we realize. And you know what, folks? He saw the earthquake and he saw all those things. Don't wait till God shakes your world till you say truly this man is the son of God. And you know what? If he has, it's okay. There's still great hope for you today. There's still great hope for you today if he has had to shake your world. Just let him break your pride. Let him break your will and come as the centurion did and say truly this man is the son of God. And he's worthy of my heart and life. He gave me his, so I'm going to give him mine. He loved me, so I'm going to love him back. And the Bible says in St. John chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Hey, you need to stop trying to do this Christian thing on your own. You can't do it in your flesh. It's not by the will of man or the will of the flesh. That's not what gets it done. You come spiritually bankrupt before God. That's what Jesus meant when he said, uh, 
blessed are uh, they uh, that are poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you come before God and say, God, I'm a wretched sinner, I'm lost, and I need to cast all of my, my life upon you, my heart, my sins, my guilt, my sorrows, everything I just let go, I'm all yours. Just release, just throw the white flag up of surrender. God's not asking you to perform some great thing to get to there. No, you just come with that kind of heart and God will save you, amen? Let that power of God transfer to you this morning. Hey, do you know what? If you let the extreme ultimate negatives in your life, your guilt of sin, sorrow, pain, illness, whatever it is, you let the extreme negative meet the extreme positive of God's saving power through His Son, Jesus. That battery connection with battery cables that are unseen will flow right to you and forgive you of your sins.